Hello everyone, this is episode 48 of Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, Jess Robinson, and wow, we're at episode 48, and we're still just breaking into the Bible. We're almost done with the book of Matthew, and you know, we're still in Psalms. Psalms is going to take us a while because there's a lot, especially when we get to Psalm 119, which is really really long like me and my husband just finally got through reading psalm 119 because we just broke it down for how long it is and you know and now we're just into the book of leviticus which is the third book in in the old testament and so you know we're just barely getting into the book of leviticus which we're where we're going to start and we kind of talked about you know, just the general idea of what the offerings were about. And I just kind of want to go over those offerings since we're kind of getting more into them. You know, as we first were introduced, there was the burnt offering. And the thing about the burnt offering that I want to kind of just share is it was a voluntary act of worship. And it was atonement for unintentional sin in general. Uh, it expressed, it was expression of devotion, commitment, and complete surrender to God. And then there was the grain offering. And this was also a voluntary act of worship. It was recognition of God's goodness and provisions and devotion to God in that time. And then there was the peace offering. That once again was a voluntary act of worship. It was thanksgiving and, and fellowship. And it included a communal meal. And then there was the sin offering, um, which we talk about what we read about in our daily reading. And that was mandatory atonement for specific unintentional sin, confession of sin, forgiveness of sin, cleansing from defile defilement. And we see that if it was the high priest and congregation, it had to be a young bull. A male goat for if a leader sinned, a female goat or lamb for a common person, a dove or a pigeon for the poor. God made a way for even those who were poor to be able to be atoned for their sins. And then there was tenth of an ephah of fine flour for the very poor at that time. Then there's also the guilt offering. That's another one, and it involves a ram. And that was mandatory atonement for unintentional sin that required restitution. And we see that in there. It's cleansing from defilement and make restitution, and they had to pay a 20% fine. So that was part of, you know, those, like, that ended up stealing and, and all of that. And so... Now, people go, well, what if there was more than one kind of offering that needed to be presented? How would that go? And it, the procedure usually would follow that it was the sin offering or guilt offering first, then the burnt offering, then the peace offering and, and, and grain offering, along with a drink offering. Uh, so, you know, that's the sequence and this, it furnishes part of the spiritual significance of the sacrificial system. First, you know, the sin had to be dealt with, which was the sin offering or guilt offering. You had to deal with sin. 
Second, the worshiper committed himself or herself completely to God, which is a burnt offering and grain offering. Third, fellowship or communion between the Lord, the priest, and the worshiper, peace offering, was established. And that's how it is with us. You know, for our sin has to be dealt with first. And that's what I tell people when, when, and especially you knew anybody who's a new believer listening to this podcast, when you get into prayer and, and you're starting to pray, what I like to do is like, I like to have a time where I just turn on music and I don't say anything. And it's usually after I've read the Bible, the, the word, and I think about what I read and it allows me to, to think about my life and my heart and if there's any sin in my life that I need forgiveness for. And then we deal with that. God and I deal with that. You know, if that comes up, if things come up that I need to deal with, that's part of it. That's, you know, asking the Lord for forgiveness of sins when you first start out in your prayer time. Um, and then he, then, you know, when you go into it, as you keep, keep on going, you know, you, you commit yourself to the Lord and allow him to move, welcome him into the, into your, into your life and just be open and allow him to move. And then there's just this fellowship and communion afterwards, you know, as you continue on. And so we see that with, with these offerings and how we can kind of relate to them today. And that's pretty much you know, other than I just wanted to say, like in chapter five, in verse five, it says he must confess. Confession is a huge thing in, in our relationship with the Lord, especially when you make the Lord, you know, as your Lord and Savior. When you make Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have to confess your sins. Meaning that you have, you know, you admit that you did wrong. You've done wrong. And you have to confess it. You know, it's just like a criminal. You know, they're not. In order for them to plead guilty, you know, somebody who's in the judicial system, in order for them to plead guilty, they have to confess to what they did. You know, and I, I see it all the time. It's like, and here in America, we have some weird, you know, like, you see on TV, oh, guilty or not guilty. There's more to the judicial system. There's, you know, no contact, uh, no contest, which is a, a, a form of guilty, not guilty, where the person's not confessing, but there's, a, you know, kind of enough evidence to convict them. And then there's, you know, the Al, Al, Alford plea, which... That it's also, it's a, it's a not guilty plea, but they know that there's enough evidence that they're going to be found guilty anyway. And it's, and I actually watched a, a, a hearing, a sentencing hearing not long ago, and this person did take the Alford plea and they kept saying, well, I have to, you know, face the consequence for, for what I did. 
And even the county attorney and the judge was sitting there going, you're taking this plea, but you're saying, which is saying in essence that you're not guilty, but you're saying in your statement that you have to face the consequences for what you did. And it just sent, it, it, it didn't seem good. And things didn't really turn out the way this person wanted. But, you know, like the judge had to, to sentence because of what they saw. They had to make atonement for, for this crime. And so, you know, when you sin, you know, you can't just expect your sins to go away, you know, that the Lord, you know, is just going to wipe them clean. No, we have to confess it with our mouth. We can't, we can't, you know, hold back. You know, I know he, like, he would make exceptions for, you know, because there was, you know, I've heard of people that have been saved that, that couldn't talk. They had, the Lord will know, you know, and, and the Lord makes a way for them to be able to confess their sins, even if they can't talk. If they're mute, you know, don't have a tongue, the Lord makes a way, you know. He's not going to say, well, they, they can't confess their sins because they can't talk, then they, they, they can't go to heaven now. It's like, no he'll make a way, you know, and he knows their heart, you know, where their heart is at as well. But confession is required by God for forgiveness. So, and then There's so, there's so much to this and I wish I could just take a whole bunch of time to do this, but I think probably sometime down the road, we'll really go into the different offerings and stuff, but continuing on, we're going to go into the book of Matthew now. So in the book of Matthew, this is interesting because just you know, just, it, it just hits, you know, that the Lord loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. And we read this and we just, we really don't think about all that, you know, the, the cost and the pain that he went through. And we see, you know, he's up on the cross and there's this darkness that, that comes over the land and... So we're seeing these, these signs and wonders happening. And he, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we all know, that is in Psalm 22. And so Jesus, when he says that, you know, he felt the presence of the Lord leave him. You know, he felt the weight of sin. He felt, you know, the desperation and and all of that. He was bearing the burden of our sin. And that was upon him. 
And it was there at the cross. And he says, you know, why have you forsaken me? And he's fulfilling what Psalm 22 says. And then, you know, these people are like thinking he's calling Elijah. And so they fill it with wine, vinegar, and they put it on a stick and they offer it to Jesus. And they give it to him. He drinks and they, they're like, okay, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And they're like, okay, because they hear that and they go, whoa, hold on. Is Elijah going to come? Because everybody knows that. And we're going to see this. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament and he didn't die. He was taken away off of the earth. And he was swept up. He was caught away. So they, they're looking for Elijah to come. And then Jesus, he cries out in a loud voice. Now, Matthew doesn't note what he says. Uh, he, and it says, you know, in, in the book of John, he says, it is finished. And what he, and he gives up his spirit. This cry is sig signified the end of his sufferings and the completion of the work of redemption. The debt for our sin had been paid at this point. And the plan of salvation established. And the thing about it is, is when he says it is finished, it is finished. And I think a lot of us as brand new believers and even like seasoned believers, we tend to like, we ask for forgiveness of sins. But what the enemy likes to do is he likes to throw those past sins back at you. And some of us live thinking about these past sins and it weighs us down. And I just want to say, when Jesus said it is finished, it is finished. And when you have confessed your sins, when you have asked for forgiveness, it's done. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of times we have a hard time forgiving ourselves and and even forgiving others. But... And not holding grudges. But we look at. You know our lives. And you know we will just. You know we can say to Jesus. Well I did this. I did this. When you have confessed. Your sins. And asked for forgiveness. Jesus opens up this book. And goes it's not there. It's not there. Because it's gone. You know it's finished. It was nailed to the cross. It's it's done. And so. You know, as brand, you know, as believers and stuff, we have to lay down everything. And when the enemy likes to bring up old sins, you know, and it's hard because you're going to, especially like for me, I live in, in a small town. And when I go along, there are spots where you are reminded and, and certain things will remind you of your old life and you'll start it it bothers you but you know and I I remember Priscilla Schreier and there was 
she's a really anointed speaker and she's played in movies like Fervent and Overcomer and I read the book Fervent and it's about prayer and one of the things she talks about is what the enemy likes to do is he likes to bring up our past sins and she was talking about a time that she was going along on the interstate she was speaking and they were going on this interstate and it was familiar to her because there was a turnoff and that turnoff she remembered it would take her to someplace and it was places where she she didn't want to recall places that she hadn't you know been following the lord and where sin you know was so where she was so easily entangled in sin and as they were getting closer to this exit ramp she was like there's tears she was getting anxious and then they passed this this turn they pass and they keep going on and she starts feeling relieved and the lord tells her you know it's done it's behind you you know I'm, and i'm having you move forward and that's how god is is it's done it's there you know it's done and one of the things like I like to say is when the enemy throws that at you, you can say to him, yes, I was once that, but the, you know, because of Jesus, it's no more. And I'm this new creation, you know, get out, you know, in, in the name of Jesus leave. Don't let your, don't stumble behind what's in the rear view. It's, it's done. It's over with move forward. And, and what God has for you. Because it's it's done. It's been nailed to the cross. And that's what makes a lot of believers stumble. Especially brand new believers. Is a lot of their their sins. That they their, their past life. They stumble over this past life that has been erased. It's it's done. It's been nailed to the cross. And, and they're a new creation. And they don't realize it. And we have to cling on to this identity that the Lord has given us and move forward in the calling that he has for us. And, and you know, the enemy loves it no more when we're stuck in our past, because when we're stuck in our past and we, you know, we're one, not focusing on Jesus and what he did on the cross. And two, we're not focusing on what the Lord wants us to do. We're not focusing on the prayers that he needs us to pray for, for the people that we need to reach. And so I, I just want to say, do not let yourself get caught up in the past. You know, at some point you've got to, you know, be, as Jesus said, it is finished. You have to close that book and move forward. So, so there's that. And then after he dies, he gives up his spirit. This is so cool. This is at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the veil that is talked about. And we've talked about in past. There was a veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. And back then in the temple, this thing was like, it weighed a lot. This, this curtain. 
And so for it to be torn in two, I mean, that was God. God speaking that, and it's a sign that it was now open. There was a a way now opened into the presence of God because that curtain had been torn. So we've talked about the tabernacle and that veil. And as I said, back then, because Jesus hadn't come, they couldn't go into the Lord's presence because Jesus hadn't come to atone for sins. And just these these guilt offerings and all of that, yes, the blood of bulls and rams, it was a temporary atonement, but it was only on the outside. On the inside, there was still spiritual uncleanliness. And so there was still sin. And Jesus had to come and die on the cross in order for us to be able to to have that freedom to be in the presence of the Lord. And we have that now. We have that. We can freely go into the presence of the Lord. Especially when you've confessed of your sins. You've made Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is this intimacy, this openness to go to the Father. He wants us there. He doesn't. He, he doesn't want us to stand off in a distance and treat this as fire insurance. He wants us to, to draw near to him and have this communion with him. So this ends up happening. And then the next cool thing happens is the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. This is a foreshadowing of the rapture that's going to happen. What happened is, and from what I understand and what I've read... Is the people who were raised, they were believers of Christ that had died before he, he had been crucified. And so it was them that were raised. Because I want to just say the Mount of Olives where he spoke at the Olivet Discourse and where the Garden of Gethsemane is. The Mount of Olives was a graveyard. Um, because people... The Jews at that time, they did believe in a, you know, some believed in a resurrection. And so the Mount of Olives was filled with graves because they knew of the prophecies, especially with the Mount of Olives. There was a lot of prophecy with the Mount of Olives. And so the people were burying, the Israelites were burying their, their dead there. And Jesus, he's going to actually... You know, when he ascends into heaven, you know, he ascends to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And so where there was death, Jesus, you know, a place of death, he brings life. He brings life. And so these people come out of these graves. And I mean, I'm wondering how many people ended up believing in Jesus, even though he, he wasn't risen from the grave yet because there was all these people coming around because they had risen from the grave. 
and they appear to many people. I mean, that is in itself a testimony to, you know, if I, you know, if my grandmother who had died, you know, was raised back to life, I would definitely be worshiping Jesus and that he would be my Lord and Savior. My life would be changed if I would have seen my grandma raised from the dead. You know, that's, it's just interesting, you know. And I had an aunt, she was dying uh, of cancer and she had died. They had pronounced her dead. And I think it was like 20, I think it's 20 or 30 minutes later, we get a phone call. You know, we're all crying in the house. My mom gets a phone call from my grandma and my grandma's like, no, your aunt is, is still alive. What? Now the thing about it is she ended up passing away. Like I think a few hours later, but when you hear, get that phone call that they're still alive after hearing that they're dead, it's, it's like, wow, (laughs) it, 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 it shakes you to the core because, you know, you're taught that once somebody's dead physically, they're, they're dead. They can't be raised. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Assembly of God. I believe in the, that the dead can be raised. So I just know that, you know, Christian people who... Those who are believers that do die, they don't want you praying for them to be raised from the dead because they're happy to be in heaven. It's the people that do not believe they're happy when you you pray and they're raised from the dead. So there's that that happens and it's a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the rapture and the resurrection that's going to happen. And we're getting closer. We're getting closer. I actually keep saying, you know, I think Jesus is going to be back by the time I'm 30, like, and I'm only 28. So, but I could be wrong, you know, it's whenever the Lord decides to come back, but I think we're getting closer, you know, so that ends up happening. And then when all this is happening, a Roman centurion And those who were with him that were guarding Jesus. These are Gentiles, you guys. Gentiles. When they, there was an earthquake. And they're seeing all this happen as this guy dies. They're even shaken to the court. And they're going like, this is the son of God. I don't know what happened to these men afterwards. If their lives were so changed that they ended up believing in Jesus. And probably when he rose out of the tomb and they heard about it. If they, and and who knows, if they saw him, we don't know. We'll know one day when we're in heaven, if, you know, what happened to the centurion and all these people. But I believe that, you know, they were, they were shaken to the core because they realized this wasn't just some ordinary ordinary man that that was crucified they stu- their eyes were open 
And then we also see that there was some women who watched. And we're going to see some differences, if I remember right, between the Gospels who who was there. There's can there is Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and and the mother of Zebedee's sons and there's also Jesus's mother. So and then we see this this man a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph and he had become a, a disciple of Jesus and if there's Joseph of Arimathea. He makes a stand. I mean, anybody that ended up becoming a believer of Jesus generally got put out of the synagogue at this point. And so for him to make this stand that he's going to bury, he's going to clean up the body of Jesus and bury him in his own tomb, that was a big stand. And I, I, I believe, I don't know what happened to him. But he ends up burying Jesus into into the tomb. And then we see the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're like, wait a minute. They remember that when when Jesus was alive, that after three days, he had said, after three days, I will rise again. What they, they wanted to do was, and this was, you know, in a way for God to work because they had the tomb sealed with Pilate's seal. And for a tomb to be sealed, and they have found laws and, and writings and all of that about when a Roman governor or even the emperor himself would take his seal and seal a tomb, if that seal was broken, the sentence was death. And there's a lot of rumor around that the disciples broke the seal and took Jesus's body and then just said that he rose from the grave. One, if I was a disciple and I saw a seal and it meant that I would die if I broke that seal, is it worth dying for, for a dead person? Is it worth dying? And I'm going to say this, and we're, I'm going to continue to say it when we get into the book of Acts and you see what happens to these disciples of Jesus, what happens to them. And even Paul, the Apostle Paul, most of them, pretty much all of them died a martyr's death. If they were living a lie, why would you die living for a lie? That's something that I like to tell People who do not believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I asked them, then why did these guys die for a lie? I mean, they did not die very good uh, deaths. I mean, Jesus or Peter, he was, you know, crucified upside down because he didn't find himself worthy to be crucified the other way. And then, um, one of the disciples, it it's said that he was skinned alive. He was skinned. 
alive. That's how he died. You know, most of them did not die very nice deaths. Why would you die a death like that for a lie? I don't know. But so that's what ends up happening in in this at the end of this chapter is he's put into the tomb. I'm going to talk about the different days because as you're probably now figuring out, this is only day six and this, he, he died before even the afternoon. So, you know, people are going, wait a minute, you know, because three days later, where are we getting this Easter Sunday <laughs> kind of thing? I'm going to explain it in the next episode for for time's sake. So I will explain that in the next episode. But feel free to research the how that how that actually works. But so for the next episode we're going to do Leviticus chapter six verses nineteen through chapter eight verse twenty one and then Psalm twenty seven verse seven through fourteen. Proverbs 4, 26 through 27, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20. And we will actually be going over all four books because we'll be finishing Proverbs chapter 4 and we'll be finishing Psalm 27. So we're going to, it's going to probably be a very long episode. We will see. So I'm going to end in a prayer and I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. We just want to thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for what you did on the cross, Lord. We thank you, God, that you bore the sins of the world, even though we didn't deserve it. But Lord, you loved us so much that you, you sacrificed your one and only son and Lord, I praise you, God, for the love that you have and the mercy and the compassion and the grace. Lord, I pray that you would just wash us. If we have sinned in any way, if anybody that's listened and is listening to this podcast and, and they're still continuing to live in sin, I just pray, Lord, that, that Lord, their hearts would be convicted and that, Lord, I pray that, Lord, they would confess their sins. Lord, and, and Lord, we thank you, God, that when we confess our sins and we make you as Lord and Savior, that everything that we, you know, that our sins are washed away and it's finished, it's done, and that the old self is dead and Christ is alive in us and we are brand new. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to walk forward in, in all that you have for us, Lord. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just wash us clean. And that as we read your word, as we get into prayer time, Lord, as we worship on Sunday, Lord, we just welcome your presence just to speak to our hearts as we become still before you. And that, Lord, I just pray, God, that, that, Lord, I pray that your word would just be revealed more and more to us as we continue on.
And we just thank you, God, for all that you continue to do and that you will do. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise for you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you are the same today as you were yesterday. And you are going to continue to be the same. And we look forward to the day that you that the trumpet will sound and the Lord, we will be with you in the heavens and in the clouds, Lord. And that we just thank you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day, you guys.